0: Let's listen again for a word to God as it comes to us from the gospel according to Luke. At that time, some Pharisees approached Jesus and said, Go, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox, look. I'm throwing out demons, and I'm healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will complete my work. However, it's necessary for me to travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, How often I have wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you didn't want that. Look, your house is abandoned. I tell you, you won't see me until the time comes when you say blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I'd rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. These are words attributed to Jack London, an American novelist who penned some of the great adventure tales of the early 1900s. His classic tales like White Fang and The Call of the Wild were inspired in large part to this life mantra of his about making the most of one's time. I saw many of you nodding along when I said those words. You're familiar with them. However, I must admit that I've never actually read any of Jack London's work. White Fang doesn't share space with any of the Bible commentaries on my bookshelf, and everything I know about The Call of the Wild comes from the ten minutes I watched of its 2020 movie adaptation featuring Harrison Ford. In fact, the only reason why I know about Jack London's philosophy on life is because it's quoted in the final scene of the latest James Bond thriller, No Time to Die. James Bond and I have a long history together. I was first introduced to the British secret agent in elementary school when I sat down on the couch alongside my father as he watched one of the films. From there, it kind of became a tradition for us. Each time a new film in the series would release, my dad and I would make our way to the local movie theater, we'd grab a bag of popcorn, we'd plop down in some seats and we would watch as 007 Punch kicked and charmed his way in defeating the latest villain, hell-bent on destroying the world. So with the release of the latest addition to this franchise, I was feeling rather nostalgic. For the past few weekends, after dinner was over and after these two had gone to bed, I'd plop back down on that couch and I re-watched all 27 films in order. It's almost 60 hours worth of movie.) from dr no to no time to die from sean connery to daniel craig the movie spans not only almost 60 hours it also spans almost 60 years of time and it shows re-watching now in 2020 the special effects that i thought thought were so cool back in elementary school are now amateurish at best the casual racism and misogyny of those early films is highly problematic, and the story itself is incredibly predictable. In each and every one of those 27 films, you can always count on a few things happening. Number one, the British secret agent will smugly walk into the scene, usually in either a hotel or a casino. He'll blow whatever cover he may have been given and he will happily announce to everyone in that room that his name is Bond. You have seen the movies. Second, he will order a vodka martini, one that is not stirred. Man, you guys have spent a lot of time watching these. And then after a drink in hand, he will happily inform any female stranger or villainous henchman in that hotel or casino, not only where he is staying, but how they can find him and why he is there. All the while lathering up the room with continuous puns and innuendos. And even though James Bond has been played now by six different actors, the depiction of this character is always one of a witty rogue with a cavalier attitude towards life. And thus, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. It's a fitting summary for the fictitious life of James Bond, but maybe even more so for the way that the Gospel writer of Luke depicts Jesus in this morning's lectionary reading. If we remember back to our previous sermon series, the writer of Luke seems to always have Jesus on the move. Whether he's packing his bags in Galilee and turning his face to Jerusalem or riding the waves of a massive sea storm or simply bumping up against the law experts and the Pharisees, Jesus is always moving. Pardon the pun. He's shaking and stirring the common assumption of life and of God for these people. It's why the legal experts and the Pharisees are the ones who are constantly at odds with him, constantly butting heads, trying to entrap him with their questions, watching him closely from across the room and looking for any reason possible to arrest him. And yet for some reason, they are now the ones coming up to him today to warn him that his life is in danger. Dr. Amy Levine, the author of our Lenten study, finds this turn rather peculiar. She points out for us that Herod isn't the looming villain in this story. In fact, the only time we hear of Herod, he's either confused about who Jesus is, or he's excited to host him in his palace with no murderous intent mentioned. The Pharisees, on the other hand, seem to be a bit more malevolent. As Dr. Levine sees it, they are the ones intent on silencing Jesus, on tricking him with these threats from Herod and encouraging him out of Galilee and on to Jerusalem. And from the looks of it, Jesus knows what's up. When this threatening message is whispered in his ear, he immediately turns around and shouts, Go tell that fox I'm busy! Which I'm sure would have erupted in thunderous laughter and applause from the crowd that had gathered. Who doesn't appreciate a good joke at a politician's expense? What the crowds may have missed in this witty pun is the innuendo that Jesus drops there for the Pharisees, one which they would have immediately understood. In Hebrew scripture, foxes are oftentimes mentioned in contrast to lions. Ones who can only achieve their goals through cunning deceit in lieu of any real power and authority. This particular group of Pharisees that comes to him is not there to warn Jesus, but rather to move him along on his way to Jerusalem where there is real power and there is real authority. Because if it is true what Jesus says, that a prophet cannot be killed outside of Jerusalem, then as governor of Galilee, Herod has no authority there. But you know who does? The legal experts and the Pharisees do. And so in this coded exchange, Jesus calls them out. Recognizing their deceit and calling their bluff with cavalier and with wit, he makes it perfectly clear that his schedule is full. Listen, foxes! I'm throwing out demons and healing people, and I'm traveling today, tomorrow, and the next day. I shall use my time, says Jesus. But Is that really the wisest decision for our Savior? I mean, I appreciate Christ's courage and his determination. I love his humor here and his zest for life, but knowing what we know now, knowing where this road leads and how the stories will end, is today, tomorrow, and the next day really the best response from Jesus? Where are the disciples in this story? Where are those men imploring him to heed these threats, to clear some time in his calendar, to take a moment to reflect on the bigger picture here? Where's Peter, James, or John to tell him that Jesus, Jerusalem can wait. But even if they were there, from my own experience, I'm not convinced that it actually would have made any difference. In 2008, I went to the movie theater with my dad to watch that year's Bond film, Quantum of Solace. It was a terrible movie then. It's an even more terrible movie now. Don't watch it. But two years later, in November of 2010, my brothers and I joked about that movie as we sat in the lobby of a funeral home waiting to pick out the casket for my dad. It was a brief moment of laughter amidst the sadness. But for me, more importantly, it was a break amidst the busyness. As the oldest brother, they don't say this, but as the oldest brother, it felt like it was my responsibility to help my mom pick out the casket and arrange for flowers to ensure that the funeral service was perfect. I was a first-year seminarian, so I knew exactly how to do a funeral service. It had to be perfect. I had to make sure that the family from out of town had a place to stay. There were eulogies to write and death certificates to certify and insurance papers to fill out. And then once the service was over, and once all the family from out of town had gone home, there were plane tickets to buy. Because I was a first-year seminarian. I had to get back to school because I knew everything, but apparently I had to go back to learn how to be a minister. I had a plan. And even though my friends and family and girlfriend and now wife pleaded that I stop and clear some time in my calendar to take a moment to reflect and to mourn. I had a plan. I had to travel. My todays and tomorrows and the next days were already accounted for, and I was just too busy. We live in a world that rewards us for having our todays and tomorrows and next days accounted for. Meetings and tasks and to-dos filled out nicely on our calendar so that when someone asks, what about next Thursday? We can puff up our chest and proudly say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy that day. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls it a culture of restlessness a market ideology in which the goal of life is to produce more and consume more so we can be richer and more powerful and more effective and more well thought of. But there's another side to this as well. If this production consumption model is what fills our days, then there's never enough time to stop for a moment and reflect on the bigger picture like the increasingly common choice between medicine or groceries, of a full tank of gas or new shoes, the bigger picture of like women and children cowering in subways as mortar shells fall from the sky, the bigger picture of a tyrannical fox who has no problem jeopardizing the lives of his people or threatening the world with nuclear war, If we are so busy today, tomorrow, and the next day, and busy again the next tomorrow, today, and the next day, then what we have done is turned our schedules into a sedative that numbs us from the real threats in our world. But luckily, God has something to say about this. In the midst of all of this, Lent offers us a break from all of that. Lent invites us into a 40-day season of today's tomorrows and next days that only ask us to reflect and to pray. That's it. To do the total opposite of what our culture of restlessness requires of us. And for today, 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 I wish Jesus would have modeled that for us here in Luke's story. I wish that when faced with real threat, he would have prioritized himself over his schedule. That he would have heeded his own words from the gospel of John that I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Or in the words of Jack London... The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. So in this Lenten season, may we realize that we are more than what fills our todays, our tomorrows, and our next days. May we stop for a moment and reflect on the bigger picture and most importantly, may we enjoy the, the life that Christ offers us here in this season. May it be so today, tomorrow, and the next day. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Spirit. Amen.